you belong. However you are, whatever body you inhabit, whatever your lifestyle is, however flexible or strong you think you are or are not, you belong in the room. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. I hope that Radically Loved Radio leaves you feeling inspired to create something powerful. My teacher, Yoga Rupa Rajstriker, says, if you powerfully believe in the value you have to offer the world, your love and passion for it will be an unstoppable force. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic, the coffee that gets you fired up. Aside from supporting energy, stamina, and athletic performance, cordyceps have been studied for their strong antioxidant properties. I have been so obsessed with this coffee for the last year. I've been drinking it and I've been traveling with it. And in case coffee doesn't pump you up enough, how about coffee paired with one of the most energy supporting mushrooms on the planet, cordyceps. So coffee is so energizing because it stimulates the central nervous system and the adrenal glands. But combining this with a more balanced cellular energy to support uh, our immune system and our health function, this mushroom can result in a balanced stimulation while using only half of the amount of caffeine normally found in a coffee, which is awesome. <laughs> they also have an incredible matcha mix that is my absolutely new favorite, and they want to give our listeners a gift. So for those of you who are curious and want to try the mushroom coffee that doesn't taste like mushrooms, go to foursigmatic.com forward slash radically loved. So that's foursigmatic.com forward slash R-A-D-I-C-A-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E-D for 15% off of all of their products. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, I have Lauren in the house. (laughs) You guys don't know this, but this is the second time we've done this interview. (laughs) We experienced some technical difficulties um, and Tori and I fixed it, but unfortunately lost an incredible interview that it will never see the light of day. I know that sounds so like morbid, but, uh, Lauren was so loving and compassionate to, to come back <laughs> to do this again. I'm honored. <laughs> well, and for me, I get to hang out with you again. That's so how that's I felt great. when I got okay, your good. message. I just had, I was excited like, to see okay. you again and, and, and to hold the space of not trying to recreate what we created last time right. and, and have this new experience together. Oh, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, this is where we really begin to practice non-attachment, right? Because it's like, 
I was, we were determined. I think we worked for about, I don't know, maybe like a week. Oh no. And we, we, I'm like, we downloaded software. Like we were just looking everywhere. We're like, okay, this has happened because did, I don't know if he told you, but it's happened before. Oh. And this is like the program that we were using, which I'm not going to bash it on here. But um, I definitely won't be promoting that software anymore. <laughs> and I read that there was a lot of a lot of people have had something similar happen. And so there was all these programs. It's like, oh, download this, then get this software and then go back and try and recover it. And we tried everything Aww. I mean, everything. And um, I mean, I was like having like dreams about it. You know, <laughs> I was like, how, how can we fix this? But um, so I, I appreciate it. And it's just, you know, how it is. Yeah. And it's life. I mean, that's that is not that losing an interview is why we practice, but that we <laughs> our practice shows up in these ways where we really understand that when we're holding on to something super tightly, we create more suffering for ourselves. Yes. I always love the reminder. There's this saying in um, the mindfulness meditation world, shit happens, everything changes, nothing is personal. <laughs> and in all situations, I like to remember that, you know, no matter how much we practice, things are gonna continue to happen. We need to move through those changes with as much equanimity as we can. And most of the time, it's not, not personal. <laughs> so you all can hear why this is amazing that I have her here right now, because you can already tell that she's gonna turn, she's gonna turn around every situation. So for the people listening that, that don't know you, do you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, so my name is Lauren Ekstrom, and I am a yoga and meditation teacher based here in Los Angeles. Um, I teach a style of yoga called holistic yoga flow and throughout that practice the intention is that we are really taking people on a journey and interweaving not just safe sound and creative sequencing but yoga philosophy, pranayama, meditation, um, knowledge of anatomy and then for me that journey has really evolved over the years and beginning to guide a tremendous amount of meditation practices. And over the course of that journey, over the last 10 years or so, now I lead retreats all over the world, a 200 hour and a 300 hour teacher training, um, as well as having published a book a few years ago called Holistic Yoga Flow, The Path of Practice, which is a beautiful coffee table, book but it's also the foundation of our teacher our 200 hour teacher training so it's broken into three sections um, all of the philosophy in the first section the second section breaks down 110 plus yoga poses with their contraindications and their alignment points and then the last section is geared toward people either wanting to evolve a home practice or people looking to teach and um, also creating online programs for people. So we know that so many people are at home, practicing, traveling, not able to get into a studio and still wanting to support people in their practice when that direct community, that in-person community isn't available. So in December, I released a new 10-day yoga program called Journey to Yoga, which is a 45-minute daily practice that revolves around 10 essential core values, which is really key to my practice. Uh, core values are an important guiding light for me in everything that I'm doing. And so that really comes from my heart. 
Oh, I love that. And she actually brought me a copy of the book, which is incredible. And like the pictures are beautiful and it's beautifully written Thank and you. very easy to follow. I actually brought it to Portland with me and Aww. showed all my teacher trainees. So I'll have to get like a couple copies from Aww. you. That's, that's so exciting. Because I think it's it's definitely curated for people that want to create a, a holistic yoga practice. Mm-hmm. And so... For the people listening that perhaps haven't experienced what a yoga practice can do for them, what can you tell us about it? Oh, well, and coming into that, maybe just from my own direct experience, obviously everybody's journey is different, but I came to yoga around the age of 18 or 19 and was experiencing a tremendous amount of anxiety, which I know was kind of the start of your journey as well. And I was deeply disconnected from my body. I um, was going through a lot of transition and a lot of change, had big disassociation from what it was to be in a human body. And I had felt alone for so long, for so many different reasons. Um, But I was really looking for an experience of connection a connection to my body, but then what I came to realize was that I was also looking for a connection to community. And so I came to yoga not having been an athlete. You know, I think of the movie Clueless where she's attempting to play tennis and <laughs> balls are hitting her in the face. And that was 100% my direct experience of athleticism. And I showed up in this yoga room terrified that I was going to be behind and hold the class up or make a fool of myself. And what I saw were all of these different people from all different walks of life, different ages, different body types, moving in such powerful and graceful ways. And it showed me that I had a lot of work to do that I was really caught up in many old stories and programs about what I was capable of or not. And the opportunity for me was to keep showing up day in and day out and start seeing myself and what my possibilities were in an entirely new light. And to be able to use the body as a conduit for making tremendous shift and transformation. That meant getting stronger, that meant becoming more flexible, but then that meant taking those practices off the mat and into my life and learning to accept 100% responsibility for my choices. And that's the most challenging piece of the practice. You can have a teacher outside of you who's helping you to place your body in a very specific way, and that can be deeply grounding for us. It can be a meditation. But when we leave that room, we are responsible for all the inner workings of the practice and who we are in the world and how, not only how are we treating other people, but because we know it starts on the inside, how are we treating ourselves? Yeah, Yeah, I think that there's a a lot of sort of myths that I I pray continue to be dispelled, especially when it comes to yoga practice, not just being a physical practice or a physical exercise. And I think that over time, it's what the promise of the practice is. It begins to reveal itself, right? So how important is the actual tradition of 
those practices, like say the philosophical components, how important is it in your practice and in the practice of the people listening? I love something that Dr. Gail Parker says, and she says that yoga is a subversive practice, meaning that it changes us from the inside out first. And I remember for myself one day going to eat something or whatever it was, and I made a completely different choice than I would have normally made. And that wasn't necessarily conscious, but it was because I had a new awareness of my body and I was so tuned into what my body was needing that I was conscious enough to make a different choice. Um, I think that that can happen through the work of the physical practice and tuning back into our needs. My personal experience with the practice is that if we don't have the inner workings of the philosophy on some level, it's a disservice to us because it's a guidebook. Yeah. And you talk about something like the eight limbs of yoga. There's a lot of value in the conversation, let's say around something like a parigraha. So if this isn't a familiar term to people, it's generally deemed as non-stealing. Well, most of us are pretty moral people. We're not going out there and we don't need to be told not to steal things from the store or from other people. We understand that. But where are we stealing from ourselves or from others? An example might be if you're showing up at your yoga practice late again and again and again, you're stealing time away from yourself and then you're stealing time away from other people in the room who you disrupt as a result of that. Now, of course, things happen. You know, you have late drop off with your kids at school or, you know, something happens and you couldn't find parking that day. That's a one off and we're not talking about that. But where are the things that are showing up again and again mm -hmm. um, where we are actually stealing time away from ourselves? Yeah. And so if we don't have an understanding of what truthfulness actually means, what nonviolence means. Again, the same thing. Most of us are not violent individuals. Right. We're not running around <laughs> hitting each other and hurting each other. We get it, we get it. We learn that in preschool. We learn that in kindergarten. Um, but where we're really violent is on the inside. Yeah. And all of us, I mean, to a certain degree, we say things to ourselves that we would never dream of saying to a friend or another human being. And so when we talk about nonviolence, we're looking at it on a much deeper level. We're looking at so much of this stuff on the inside. And I think that that's where the yoga philosophy can be incredibly helpful for us. Yeah. How can we begin to see that off the mat, as you're saying? Like, how do we... How do you see us taking our practice from that place, from that square, our mat, or rectangle, and then taking it, whatever, I'm being like really like <laughs> specific. How do we take it into the world, especially now with, with so many distractions, technology, and you know that constant um, comparison is the biggest joy kill, etc. So how do we do that? My question for students when they're on their mats and in the room is, what are you practicing right now? Now, are you practicing being annoyed and irritated? Well, whatever we practice, we become stronger at. So if we can say, 
Today I'm gonna step onto my mat and I'm gonna practice being really patient with myself. Or I'm gonna practice, yes, being disciplined because there's no question that a yoga asana practice is in inclusive of discipline. And discipline has a really firm place in our lives. We know that good parenting and structure are supportive for us as human beings, but we can have that discipline and we can be kind. It's amazing if we can practice that on the map, but then the closing question is, how can you practice that today? And I love for myself again and again and again, this has shown up off my mat and has surprised me. I wasn't necessarily expecting to apply my yoga practice, but suddenly my yoga practice surfaces and it meets me exactly where I'm at because I've spent the time on my mat or I've spent the time in my meditation and what I've spent time doing, if I'm honest about it, is being uncomfortable. And it's okay for us to be uncomfortable. It's not okay for us to be in pain. We never want to be in pain but it is okay for us to be uncomfortable. And as we learn to sit with our discomfort, we learn to sit with other people's discomfort. And this really, a, a good example of this came up for me um, over the course of the last year. I lost my father just about a year ago. And as he was going through his journey, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, inoperable, and so we knew it was a terminal diagnosis, ultimately. And there was a point in time as his illness progressed where he was becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And one day he was in the bathroom and he was there for a really long time. And I kept checking in and I kept checking in and part of the issue was that he was so weak it was hard to make the move from the bathroom back to the bedroom. And so I gave him as much time as he needed. And then finally I said, okay, we're gonna do this. And I came and I put my shoulder under his and lifted him up and we started to make the walk back to the bedroom. But he had become so weak that what used to be just a few short steps now felt like miles. Mm -hmm. And he was scared. Here I am, his daughter, not much bigger than he is. And at that point, definitely weighing more than he was. And he would say things like, don't drop me, don't drop me. And we just took our time really, really slowly. And he was losing his breath and losing his breath. And finally, we made it back to the bed. I swept his legs up onto the bed and he was breathing really heavily. And my practice showed up and I put a hand on his chest and we just started breathing together, breathing in and breathing out. And I stayed right with him, stayed right in the present moment, holding his gaze, my hand on his chest, feeling his breath, feeling his heart. And then he looked up at me and he put a hand on my face and he said, you are so beautiful. And then he put a hand on my heart and he said, and I'm always going to be right here. And my practice taught me that that moment was a moment that would be with me forever. But if I was gonna get caught up in the what ifs, and when he's gone, and what if he dies, and when he dies, and when I don't have him anymore, I would have missed out on the preciousness of that connection forever. And this is what our practice teaches us, right? That to be present is the biggest gift of life. 
that we can be with whatever's here. We can be with someone who's dying and we don't have to fix it. We don't have to make it any better. That the greatest gift we can give is our presence. And then that brings us into all of the philosophy of yoga, right? In that moment, we're acting on all of it. We're kind, we're steady, we're disciplined, we're truthful. And I think that that's the biggest surprise for people of their practice, is that it's going to show up in your life, oftentimes when you least expect it. Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. I don't even know how to like follow that up with anything other than it's incredible and it's extremely courageous and that's amazing that you were able to do that and have that experience and wow and amazing that we were able to share that but we're only able to share that if if we're willing to meet people where they're at and so many of us you know we talked about the media and distraction and what we're so used to doing is avoiding what we're Mm. feeling. I don't want to feel this way. And I only know that, right? Because I went through years of not wanting to feel the way that I was feeling. And how many of us have spent years numbing that? Alcohol, drugs, food, now this scrolling through Instagram, whatever it is. And we're avoiding feeling bored or we're avoiding feeling alone or we're avoiding feeling uncomfortable. And yoga is going to be the biggest mirror that we have. And it's going to say, okay, right now, all these things are here. And the question is, can you be with it? Yeah. That's, that's the big, that's the big uh, goal, I guess, right, is to be able to do that. You know, you, you mentioned uh, scrolling and social media. And <laughs> interestingly enough for, I, and I look, I, people listening to this podcast know I talk and I have a love, not love relationship with it, you know. Um, but I, I enjoy communicating with, you know, all the listeners and, and my friends and different people. And so um, I started to notice this thing happening uh, last year. You know, I was really on social media. I was part of my job. You know, I was working at yoga for Yoga Journal and I was traveling and it was part of my job was to constantly be posting and constantly be keeping everybody up on what was happening. But as I was keeping everybody up on what was happening, I was also, you know, keeping up with what everybody else was happening because I was feeling like, what's everybody else doing? And I started to find that it was creating this heaviness and it was creating this like almost sadness, you know, and you know, part of me understood it at an intellectual level that it's this feeling of being left out. It's this feeling of everyone else is having fun, but me, Mm. right? Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so certain people maybe would have said the same thing about me. They're like, you know, Rosie's traveling, she's doing all these things and it's, it looks like a lot of fun. And it was, however, I'm on the other side looking at everything else that's happening. And, and I started to feel this really, really just discomfort with it. And so I started to feel like if it's this, if, if social media it was, it is what's causing my sadness or my disconnection, because I feel so disconnected because I'm not with everyone. I'm watching all of this stuff happen. So I'm like, what's going to happen? What happens if I turn it off for a little while? The minute I turned it off or I I stopped engaging or I would jump on there very methodically, very uh, with a purpose. I was like so surprised with the level of energy that I had 
and I wasn't feeling that heaviness and that sadness anymore and it just made it more pleasant for when I did log in to look at something specifically um it just it it totally just changed my my relationship to it and now I find anytime I definitely limit my time on social media now I'm, I'm very you know methodical with when I post things and most of the time people email me now because they know that they can reach me faster which is smart mm-hmm but I'm I'm curious if it's something that you've experienced or maybe you can sort of help explain exactly why that happens. When I hear you talking, I, I hear my own experience too reflected back. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening feel that same way. And what I hear inside of that and what I feel inside of myself is that we start to perceive an unreal sense of lack. That all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we feel like something is missing. Mm -hmm. And where is that coming from? Of course, that's coming from comparison and and we're seeing the best of people's lives and how beautiful that people people wanna share that. That's great. I wanna see where you're traveling. I, I wanna see what you're doing. That's exciting and it's inspiring whoever you are, um, that's really uplifting. And yet it can put us into a place where suddenly we're forgetting all the things that we have that are right here. A healthy body, you know, a home, a roof over our heads, food in our refrigerators. And it's a real conversation around privilege when we get down to it that, you know, we are very, many of us are are living these very privileged lives and we have the things we need, the resources that we need. And if we get trapped in social media, um, we get really far away from that. So I think for all of us, having that very conscious choosing of when we're utilizing our time on social media is an important boundary because the science does show as you're scrolling through or you're getting likes, you're actually getting dopamine hits yeah. in the brain and that is addicting. You know, that there was a whole philosophy um, behind one of the social media platforms where they were showing you how many days you had interacted with a particular person, a friend or someone you were connected with. And young kids in their adolescence were getting addicted to seeing how many days they'd interacted with the same person to the point that when they were going on vacation with their families, they would give somebody else the password to their account so that they, that other person could maintain the contact. And so the brain is wired to want these little dopamine kicks. And we need to be really compassionate with ourselves and to see that we're not alone in this and we're wired this way. And yet we can make a conscious choice to say, okay, if I have to use social media for work or I enjoy social media, maybe I do it once in the morning, once in the afternoon and once in the evening, not close to bedtime. (laughs) can be supportive and helpful, I, I personally <laughs> I, find. I totally agree. I mean, those are set parameters that I've definitely set for myself and I've actually helped students and even like clients that I work with to set those same parameters because it's so important. The other thing is this sort of, this thing that, so I'll just tell you a quick story. <laughs> so I when this was happening for me, 
I actually had my uh, little sister take over my social media for a little bit because it was too much. You know, I had two accounts that I was trying to like keep up. And so um, I started to find that there was just a lot of people that I was following that I didn't know or maybe I just met or I don't know, just there was a lot of stuff on there. When I'd go on there, I would just get so distracted because it was just so many. And so I tasked her to like unfollow everybody right? I'm just like, let's just start fresh. I'm like, let's start following people that, you know, all my friends, people close. And I I started to kind of tell her lists and she got overwhelmed and she's like, I'm just going to unfollow everyone. And then just, you can start fresh. And I'm like, fine. I wasn't paying attention. Right. So she did. And not maybe a week later, I started to get messages like what happened? I saw that you stopped unfollowing me. Uh, I'm, this is like some of my family members. I, they were upset at me. I got a couple of phone calls from my sister. (laughs) Like everyone was really upset. And I'm like, you guys, it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to actually start following you again here in a little bit. When I get around to it, it's not that big of a deal to me. It's not that big of a deal, but we base so much importance on social media because it's become our social currency, mm-hmm. right? Of not only how we give love or give like, but also how we get that. Mm-hmm. And and it was, I gotta be honest, a little bit upsetting to me that that everyone was getting so upset over the fact that I started unfollowing them. And I'm like, I haven't disappeared, you guys. That doesn't mean I love you any less because I'm not, I mean, I'm not on there half the time now anyway. So I'm not looking at anything. And and it just forced me to be able to talk to people and be like, hey, if you want me to know something, let's get together and let's go have some coffee or some tea or let's go hang out. I want to hear about your trip. I don't want to look at all the pictures. Like, let's go have a conversation. And granted, you know, I, I started following a lot of my people again, but, you know, I just, it was a really sort of interesting uh, uh, social uh, I don't want to say experiment. We'll call it case study, <laughs> right? And I, I thought that it was very sort of interesting the way everything played out. And to your point is what exactly what you're saying. You know, we merit so much of our own value in in these things because there it's literally creating that that dopamine that's you know creating that that sensation of 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 being loved or being liked or. And it's a fundamental human need. You know, I think about this as a daughter. I think about this as a stepmother. Um, What we need is love and connection. It's what we all crave. You know, when, when my father was dying and what we started to do was go on long drives. He didn't want to watch the news anymore. He didn't want to watch TV. He didn't want to read the newspaper. What he wanted to do was go out in the world, be with me, and have a sense of connection to nature, to the sun, to trees, to flowers, to deers, or wherever it was we were. And then you see this in children, right? All children want is your love and attention. That's all we ever crave. And so to know too, that when we find ourselves a little bit addicted 
to the social media? Or why is that person not following me? Or why did that person not comment on my photo? Or why does that person follow that other person and always like their photos but not mine? Um, that All that is, if we take a really close, tender look at ourselves, is that there's a human need inside of us that's really asking to be attended to. And we think it's contemporary or it's the current thing, it's, it, it's new. It's not new. It's, it's not new at all. It's who we are as human beings. And I love that your solution to that was, hey, let's go get a cup of tea. Let's go have a meal because we need to replace or start to move away again from the social media to the one-on-one -on -one connection. Preach, sister. Mm. I'm telling you. Um, okay, so just to, uh, I, you talked about this again when we met the first time, and, and I love that our conversation is now completely different than <laughs> what we had originally, but you did talk about something that I, I definitely want to address, and it was really um, more about dispelling the, the myths around yoga or beginners, you know, to come in, and I, and I really loved what you said, and I, I'm pretty pretty sure you're going to say the exact same thing uh -oh. so um but for the people listening who obviously can hear that yoga and meditation and mindfulness all these practices have created this incredible life for you and all your students and and the people who uh, have the privilege of being in your presence so for the people listening that are really new and don't really know what yoga is about um, and they go into a yoga class or they've gone to a yoga class once <laughs> and they never went back but they're still a little bit curious maybe they had a not great experience what would you say to that person listening to this podcast right now so one of the reminders that i always share is um yoga is a little bit like dating that you can't go on one date and think that you're going to find the perfect love. That I, that wasn't my experience. So if it was your experience out there, good, good on, good on you. Um, but for most of us, it was a little bit of trial and error. Every yoga teacher is different. Every teacher has a different approach or a different focus, a different way of languaging their classes, a different style of moving the body. And for us as beginners to go out and find a teacher that really speaks to you, that resonates for you, and to understand that the first time you go or the first seven times you go, that might not be the case. And it's going to take a little bit of research. I think, too, the biggest reminder for beginners out there is that you belong. However you are, whatever body you inhabit, whatever your lifestyle is, however flexible or strong you think you are or are not, you belong in the room. Everybody belongs. Um, I just led 16 hours this last weekend of a 200-hour teacher training, two full eight-hour days. And my primary focus was on arm balances and inversions. That room was full of people with all different kinds of body types and injuries. What we're really focusing on is not your ability to get into a handstand. That matters so little. Um, the question is why? 
And what's your journey to a particular pose or posture? What are the things that are asking to be looked at? Is there fear? Is there a history of injury? Is there a pre-program in your mind that says, I can't or I'm not capable of it? All of these things are inquiries and questions that we're looking to touch into. And a, and a story from this weekend, you know, we had a woman who lost a coworker on Friday night in a tragic car accident. And I didn't know about it until Sunday afternoon and she had really come in and it was good for her to be in her community and to give her something to focus on. But it wasn't about getting into a particular pose or posture. The question is, what kind of life are you living? And are you living your life? Are you living in this present moment? Are you living qualities and relationships that you're proud of, that you wanna be involved in? Um, so as a beginner to know that wherever you're at, there's a studio for you, there's a teacher for you, it might be in person, it might be online, um, but we've gotta keep showing up and, and, it, and it can take some time. Mm. I love that and that's it pretty much the same feels that you gave last time. So <laughs> there is consistency in what you believe that's good. Um, what is the biggest, hmm, for the people listening or yogis out there considering becoming teachers, what quality or what question do you think is the most important that that they need to ask themselves. My biggest issue with teacher trainings is that I hate calling them teacher trainings. You know, for me, they're life trainings. If you're passionate about your practice for whatever reason, you know, for many of us, we don't tend to come to yoga and meditation because our life is awesome. You know, most of us have come to yoga or meditation because something is asking to be healed. We're in yeah. pain and we're suffering, whether that's in our bodies or it's in our mental or our emotional health. So for many of us, yoga or meditation has in some way saved our lives or transformed our lives. And if that's true for somebody out there, a teacher training is an amazing opportunity to deepen your knowledge of this practice in a fundamental way that will serve you for the rest of your life. Doesn't mean that you need to go out and teach. If you would like to, so be it. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's why you have to come into a teacher training. Learn about the philosophy. Watch and experience and expand your community. Because as, as teachers, when we're leading group classes, now we used to have 90 minutes. You know, mostly we have 75 minutes. Sometimes we only have an hour. And there's only so much information we can give that's appropriate in those 75 or 60 minutes. So when you come into a teacher training, you get to learn about the subtle anatomy and the yoga philosophy that's permeating this practice. And it gives you a whole new depth and understanding of why this practice has maybe changed your life in ways that you weren't even aware of were already occurring, things that you were already tuning into. So my advice for people out there is if you're thinking about coming into a teacher training, always asking the question why, it's, a, it's an important question. 
coming in because you want to be a famous rock star teacher is not necessarily the motivating factor that I would encourage people to come in with. Although these days, yoga is very different than it was when I started teaching yoga. Those things didn't really exist. I mean, they existed with many of the senior teachers who are still there today, but obviously it's changed quite a bit. But if you're looking to deepen your own practice, if you're looking to help yourself or you're looking to help other people, that's a beautiful starting point that I think is worth exploring. Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, would you be able to share what the core values are for a holistic yoga flow? Sure, and and those the core values that really showed up for me in the creation of Journey to Yoga, I think permeate what I teach in my group classes, what arises in my teacher trainings, and obviously is really at the forefront of Journey to Yoga. But that begins with an intention, and in yoga we call it a sankalpa, but moving through life intentionally gives us clarity and purpose that we're doing things on purpose with clear reasoning behind it. So intention is always a starting point for me. Self-care and compassion are two essential go-tos. And what's beautiful is that the science has really come to meet us in these areas and it shows that self-compassion, which we can also call inner friendliness, is actually a skill that we can build. We can get better at being kinder to ourselves and then we become more resilient. We bounce back faster from setbacks. And not a weakness, now there are over 1,200 clinical studies actually that have been done on self-compassion. And what it shows is that people become more empathetic. They become more connected. Connection is a really important core value. That shows up for me in community in many of the ways that we've talked about today. A practice of gratitude is essential. We were talking about the sense of lack yeah. that so many people are experiencing through the comparison that's permeating social media. And gratitude is a medicinal emotion. It puts us into a place of looking at what we have rather than what we want. And that's not to say put rose-colored glasses on everything. Life is hard. Life will continue to be hard. Even though you have a practice, things are gonna happen. Everything's gonna be changing. But gratitude is a reminder for us to get really present and to anchor into all that's right here. Growth is an important core value that if we're not growing, we're not really living. But growth is hard. You know, it's nice when everything is the same and we feel really safe and we've got this little box that we live in. But it's a little bit like Joseph Campbell said, you know, do something every week that pushes you outside of your comfort zone. And I have figured out for myself that that is really true. Yeah. So growth is an essential core value. But from growth, we can also inside of that find stability. Stability doesn't mean that things are unchanging, but stability, we can manifest that in the body through asana, through a yoga pose or posture, and we can feel what stability is like in our being. But then stability off the mat or off the cushion and in our lives looks like being able to navigate the fact that things are changing all the time 
And to having this equanimous content place inside of us where we're not being pushed and pulled around by all the things that are ultimately completely and utterly out of our control. Creativity is an important core value. And we're not all artists. I don't get my hands dirty with paint and watercolors. That's not really my area. But what is creative for me is sometimes writing or how I post on Instagram, how I weave or share a story, how I weave or create a yoga class to take people on a journey. And then fundamental for me, which is really the penultimate driving core value is integrity. That when I'm outside of my integrity, that is when I am at my biggest heartache. That's when I feel the most upset or confronted. So integrity, speaking truthfully, speaking compassionately. And then, of course, through the yoga practice, we learn that through the way that we move the body, that we move in alignment with who we are, being really honest about that, that we might not be the person who in this lifetime we'll put our foot behind our heads. And our jobs as yoga practitioners is to say, can I be okay with that? And honor the integrity of this body that I'm living in and not try to force it to be any different than how it is. Yeah, so good, I love that. I want to take a couple of uh, moments just to ask you a couple of uh, questions, yoga myths or just definitions i'm curious um so we can make them quick okay what does om mean om <laughs> om the eternal sound oftentimes in the philosophy it's said to be the sound of creation the start of the universe now that sounds real woo to a no, lot I of love people it. i know um, <laughs> not the list everyone listening is gonna love but that. what i it's love is that in the yoga sutras patanjali talks about you know the sound of om being this deeply meditative sound that brings us into focus there's a funny video that maybe people have seen online with this young, handsome dad and this crying, tiny infant. And he ohms at the baby and the entire energy of this crying infant changes and lulls it right to sleep. And I think that that is ohm to me. Yeah, I love that. That is what ohm is. Well, we can agree on the definition. Um, what does namaste mean? The light in me acknowledges and honors the light in you. What is the difference between pain and discomfort? Oh, this is a favorite of mine. Talk about this all the time. We're not practicing yoga, or I want to address it too in seated meditation, because pain can be physical pain or pain can be emotional pain. We're not here to sit with tremendous pain. I love a story that Sharon Salzberg, one of the founders of Insight Meditation Society, one of the preeminent teachers of the Meta practice or loving kindness tells, that when she first founded IMS, she had a teacher from uh, the Far East come and lead a retreat. And she'd never met this teacher before, but she was a little bit scared of him because he was very, very strict and he was known for being very, very tough and they were going into a three-month silent retreat, herself and other teachers, but the students from their community. 
And every week he would have one night where he would let people ask questions. And one night a woman asked a question and said, what about pain? And Sharon said she found herself, oh no, kind of scared. What was he gonna say? And he softened and he looked at the woman and he said, not too much. And it's this reminder that with pain, we're titrating pain. It's like getting into a really hot, hot, hot bath or hot spring. We need to dip our toe in and then we need to dip our toe out. And then maybe the next time we can stay a little bit longer, but then we need to come back out. So pain is something that we're just touching into. Discomfort is interesting because like we were saying, life is not a comfortable experience. It's not comfortable to be in a human body always. It's not comfortable to be in relationship. It shows up on our yoga mat. When we're starting our practice, we're in Tadasana. We've got our hands at our heart. And in that moment, suddenly you feel like you need to fix your hair. Or suddenly you feel like you need to adjust your clothing. Or I use the description of there's that hair on your yoga mat that you think needs to come off your yoga mat immediately. And can we be with it a moment longer than we were last time? And the intention really being that as we stay with discomfort, we learn to be with things as they are. We learn to be with ourselves as we are. And um, we start to make conscious choices that we're not just coming from a reactive place, fixing everything that feels uncomfortable, but knowing what we're doing when we're doing it. Yeah. So good. Okay, I think that's enough on the yoga mats. Thank you. It's like yoga trivia. Everyone likes. It's a to little scary. To it. it is. I was a Do little scared. Like, oh, like, oh, you're gonna know all the answers. I don't. Anyway. I don't. I. I won't ever claim to know all the answers. <laughs> okay, you do. I think you do. Uh, what is your favorite word? My favorite word in yoga specifically. No, just this, these next few questions. It's just we want to. We want Lauren questions. We're just gonna ask you personal. Well, since they have been yoga related, I, I, I will say that the first thing that came to mind was satya. I've always loved that word and satya for those that are listening is truthfulness. And my feeling has always been that the truth always prevails. So if we're going through a hard time or somebody's out there lying about us or saying things that isn't true about us or how we feel about the world, what, whatever it might be that it might take time, but the truth always wins. Yeah. Hmm. You know, just to, I, I'm going to deviate because I can. Um, do, have you heard that saying when somebody said, when people say, always, always believe who people are when they tell you? Mm hmm. What do you think that means? It reminds me of something that Mark Nepo actually says, who's a great luminary and incredible author. And he says, all things are true. And that really resonates in this climate that we live in where things in our country and maybe on a global scale feel pretty divisive and people have very different views for very different reasons. What I know about people who are maybe on the opposite aisle from me, I know them on an intimate level and they're good people. And what they believe, they really believe is true. And what I believe, I also really believe is true. 
I don't know what's right, I don't know what's wrong, I can do the best I can to navigate with the information I have and live my values, live all of the qualities that we've talked about. I think tapping into what you said, it's a reminder that we have an intuition that so many of us often we lose sight of, we lose touch with. And if we get an instinct from an interaction with somebody and we don't feel like we want to spend more time with them or it doesn't feel like a relationship that's feeding where we are in our life or it feels harmful or hurtful, for us to remember to trust on some level what our heart is saying to us. And it's so fascinating now, right? We're talking about the gut as the second brain yeah. and all of this research that's coming out about the microbiome and the serotonin that lives in the gut and how amazing that for eons, we've talked about a gut instinct. Mm -hmm. And now we're coming back to that in this way where science is showing us there's an instinct that's there. So when people demonstrate to us that their values are not in alignment with our values, it's okay for us to set certain boundaries and to choose to spend our time with the people or the communities that are in alignment with our values. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for answering. I knew you'd have a really great answer to that question. Thank you for that. Um, what is your least favorite word? Can't. What sound do you love? I love the sound of water when I'm hiking and it's a, a creek. Maybe that comes from being in dry Southern <laughs> California where we are so desperate for water and we just had some rain and in my gratitude journal, I was, oh, I'm so grateful for the sound of rain. Um, but I love the sound of water I, and I always really have, whether it's the ocean or it's rain or it's a bubbling brook, I really love the sound of water. What sound is Let's call it your least favorite. I don't like to use the H word. People yelling at each other, people fighting. That's a really least favorite sound. And, and I'll say this because I think it, it probably is intuitive already for people, but when you hear somebody yelling at another person, I have so much compassion because they're in pain and they're speaking from their pain, and then their pain is speaking to somebody else's pain, and it's two people, maybe more, but people who are in pain, and, and that gives me an ache. Mm -hmm. um, this last one, well, a couple of these are from Inside the Actors Studio. Oh, fun, I grew up watching that. <laughs> That's why I love it, I just started to incorporate them. So listeners, get ready, because I'm gonna ask more of these in future podcasts. If heaven exists, what, you, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Mm. You did good. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. I literally can sit here all afternoon and talk to you and just be in your presence. And what I didn't say that I did mention the last time is that Lauren has such an incredible presence and you can hear it in her incredible voice. And can you just imagine being led through a practice or a meditation with her? It's 
definitely something that you need to experience, mm -hmm. I think. So thank you for everything that you do for creating an incredible book with such beautiful practices in there, for being so loving and kind and for just being who you are in the world and for shining the light for those of us who need that light. Thank you for facilitating these kinds of conversations because these are the things I live off of. I spend all my time listening to conversations like this and to be part of it is such an honor and I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing and sharing. Thank you. <laughs> That's so sweet. Um, where can people go to to get more information about you or to follow you, ask you questions and get the book? Sure. So I'm online at laurenextrom.com and on Instagram at laurenextrom. And all of the things we talked about today are on my website. Uh, we also have something really exciting coming out in the middle of April. So for people wanting to practice and deepen their practice, I'll be announcing that very, very soon. But I'm super excited to share this new project and um, share these practices with more people all over the world. I'm so excited about that. So for those of you listening, if you go to the show notes, all those links will be on there. You can go to them directly from your device or wherever you're listening to this from your computer anywhere. Um, would you mind uh, signing us off before we finish with just like a quick one minute, like breathing meditation or, um, okay, I'm ready. Great. We're ready. So if you're listening and it's appropriate and right for you to close your eyes, you might. Or of course, just feel, feel free to rest the gaze down and out. And together, take a deep inhale through the nose. And a slow out breath, letting go, letting go and allowing your breath to be natural. And for a moment, just feeling where your body is in contact with any surface, the feet on the floor, the legs resting, supported maybe by your chair or your seat. And from those places of contact, drawing into yourself a sense of being grounded and steady. And for a moment, bringing your attention to your heart. And asking, how is your heart today? And you might notice your breath in the space of your upper chest or the beating of your heart in this place. And inquiring for a moment, what is your deepest intention? An intention may be for this moment or an intention that you'd like to bring with you, a quality that you'd like to practice in your life. Patience, presence, joy. And sensing what it's like just to call that intention forward, to feel it in your body. 
how it maybe changes, even the quality of your face. For some, maybe a soft smile comes. Knowing that this is what you're capable of, that you are capable of directing your attention in this way, through your thoughts, your words, and your actions. And that although this is a brief practice, that what happens in your practice stays in your life and trusting that intention to come with you today. And together we'll take another deep inhale through the nose. And a long, slow out breath, softening and letting go. Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening. <laughs>